Hey, everybody. Uh, I just wanted to take our usual hilarious cold open space to let you all know, in case you missed it on our social media, that Lauren and I are, uh, you're probably aware, we're almost done with this show. But we have a couple ideas for wrap-up episodes, and one of them uh, involves all of you. So what we'd really love is if you have thoughts on what She-Ra has or has ever meant to you in any iteration, any episode, any character, whatever, we would love to hear them. So what we're asking people to do is send us an audio memo of some kind, uh, roughly 90 seconds in length, to our email address, progressiveapower at gmail.com, and we are going to take our favorites of those and put those on one of our last episodes and kind of get a sense of what maybe people more in the target demographic of she actually think about she <laughs> What do you think about that, Lauren? Um, I already know that we've gotten some submissions, and every single one of them so far has made me cry, and so I really look forward to an emotional week of your messages. Uh, Please include your name and the pronouns you would like us to use in the body of your email, and just know that, you know, if you go over 90 seconds, we may cut out some of what you have to say. So the the more brief you can be, the more likely all of your words will get into the show, but, you know, say whatever you want to say. We lo- we will listen to every second of what you send. Yeah, be as personal as you want, as, as however you're comfortable. And please get them in by next Friday, August 7th. And here's the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to She-Ra Progressive of Power. I'm still Eric. And I remain Lauren. For at least a couple more weeks. Who knows how much longer, right? Yes, uh, this is our last um, guest who is local that we're going to be having on the show. And then we have one more really special person to join us next week. And then we're in the Wild West. We're really going to try to get to 100 episodes, but I don't know what happens after Heart, uh, Heart Part 1 and 2. Oh, well, when you said we're in the Wild West, I thought you wanted to do a podcast about the movie Wild Wild West. So I invited... Uh, will smith to come on our show so we'll oh he's, see. he's got a lot going on in his personal life is i'm not sure he's gonna call us back oh okay well you might only get 93 <laughs> episodes then sorry everybody our, um, our, our seven will smith episodes are very tentative <laughs> one for every season of fresh prince of bel-air is that right i don't know how many seasons that went you know Seven's that's not trivia seen. i know eric you know well, i can't answer somebody that. knows it but you know now it's in the ether to be known by some inquisitive fan anyway uh we are joined today by a very special guest a, a good friend of mine in fact one of he told the only story on my storytelling podcast that i ran for seven years that that made me cry uh, he is my only friend who has ever been on comedy bang bang you might know him as Usador the Blue from uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern. Please welcome Matt Young to the show. I- I'm sorry. I think actually the lines got crossed. I'm Kevin Klein. I played Artemis <laughs> in the Wild Wild West movie reboot. Yes. Oh, oh, oh great. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you what we're all dying to know. What do you think of the spider? <laughs> uh, well, Kenneth Branagh insisted on it. That's what a lot of people don't know. <laughs> That's so Branna. It's very Shakespearean. <laughs> that's if that's so Branna. You could here. Here's how you get to 100. You just do a, a bunch of episodes called "That's So Branna," and you <laughs> dig into like what his weird proclivities are, you know, and really like figure out what's going on with that guy. <laughs> Eric's move to LA has made him very strange very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what that I know things about Kenneth Branagh is that like something you have to do to move to Los Angeles? No, that so you just want to do like is? celebrity probe podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> the TMZ of Shira. God, can you uh, imagine? Uh, hi, I am Matt Young. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show, you guys. I'm really excited to talk about Shira. I've been a huge Shira fan since I was a child. And uh, I love the reboot, and I'm 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 ready I'm ready to roll. Well, maybe so. We should just jump into it since you kind of set us up that you know this is a, a celebrity gossip podcast. <laughs> Matt, we've got to talk about it. Okay, you yeah. have a proclivity for for He Man and Shira things, and fans yeah. of the Magic Tavern know that. And sometimes uh, they send you things. Yeah, and Matt, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. No, you 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 go. <laughs> I want to hear in your words, Matt, what happened when a gentleman named Jacob sent a Lookie and Cowell action figure two set to our former recording studio that shall not be named? Okay, here's what happened. And I I I I will claim all innocence in this um till the end of time. Uh there was no ill intent. Had I realized I was doing this, I never would have done it. And I feel so terrible about it's having gotten done this. you. It's gotten you in a way onto our show. So I think it's worked out in your favor. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've I've fallen ass backwards in into into luck uh, more often than not in my life. And this is just another instance of that. Um, so we had a, a mailbox uh, that we received mail at at the at the studio for a long time. And and sitting right next to the box was the looking and cow figure. And I was like, oh, I collect these Masters of the Universe classics figures. And I must have mentioned that in an interview or in a behind the tavern thing or something. And I thought it was like, oh, this thing doesn't fit in the box that it's sitting right next to it. But it belongs in the box. And <laughs> never in a million years. I was like and I let it sit there for a long time. And I was like. I'll take that home one of these days. Um, assuming that no one else in the show wanted it. I don't think, you know, the other guys wanted it. And then one day I was like, oh, yeah, I got to remember to take that thing home. And then I got an email, I think from you, Eric, that was like, hey, man, <laughs> did you steal our Lucky and Cowl? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I absolutely did. And I opened it because I opened my action figures. <laughs> Which so is normally I, a behavior that I'd be all about. Oh, like, take things out of the box, play them, play with them, love them. them. That's what they're for. Enjoy them. That's what they're for. I felt so terrible. I immediately got on eBay and was like, I'm I'm replacing this. I feel so bad um, because I really, I, I, I cannot apologize enough to the both of you and to all the fans of the show and to Jacob, apparently, who got it for you originally. Jacob, thank you for my looking and cowl. <laughs> I know you don't give a shit about me, uh, but uh, I, I did replace it on your behalf, uh, in your name, in your honor, even though today is the first time I've heard your name. <laughs> Look, Matt, I, I forgive you wholeheartedly, and I believe you've gone through a, a process of redemption. Thank you. Uh, but I, you know, of course, Lauren, who often refers to Lucky as her son, I cannot speak for Lauren. <laughs> well, that's why I was I was finding it very funny that like you went in for it because it was my child and I wasn't sure I was even going to bring this up or if I was just going to like let the listener sort of put two and two together and realize this is who we were talking to. But yeah, I mean, 
The thing is, I'm a very frivolous and vapid person, and Lucky 2 looks identical to Lucky 1, so it's fine as long as I have one, which so, is why I shouldn't be a parent, really. <laughs> so what you're saying is, if you had a real son, and I was like, well, that son's sitting next to my mailbox. <laughs> he doesn't and I took, in the mailbox. I took your son home, but I got you a new son that looked like the old son, you'd be fine? I think so. Okay, and great. I need to Good sit to know. here and think about what that says about me as a person. <laughs> So anyway, Lauren, do you forgive Matt? That's the key question. Oh, here we go. Uh, I definitely do because, oh, gosh, you. we have gotten like four episodes worth of material out of the fact that that <laughs> happened. So I feel compensated. Uh, great, Thank great. You for coming on our show and for pouring your heart out like that. We didn't invite you to ambush you, but um, I guess that's our new direction. <laughs> but you, you said that you have been a fan of He-Man and She-Ra since the beginning. So what were your feelings when you heard that Noelle Stevenson was doing a, a reboot of She-Ra? Um, I wasn't familiar with Noel Stevenson's work before the reboot of Shira. I have subsequently um, bought the first uh, trade paperback of Lumberjanes, and I haven't read it yet. And I, I follow her, and I'm, I'm so interested in whatever she does next. And I know there's been some rumblings of maybe some kind of sequel thing to Shira. I, I part of me like really doesn't want that. Because uh, I think it's such a good thing on its own. Like, as much as I love the world, and I love her show, and I love all, all the work that all the people put into the show. I, I think, like, I'd, if, if they do some sort of continuation, I hope it's, like, it's the next generation. Do Star Trek the next generation, but Shira, Or do, like, you know, it's fucking Scorpia and Perfuma go off into uh, the nether realm. Like, it's, like, it's an offshoot in some way. Uh, because I feel like the themes of the show are so tied into like you carried your weight and now you get to live your life <laughs> and I, I don't want them to have to carry their weight again. Yeah, I really appreciate that perspective um, in a couple of ways. First, the truth of the matter is like the se the series kind of ends with them writing a premise for a continuation. They're like, we can go out in the universe and yeah. spread magic. And on one hand, I feel like it very much says it would be the main people, the best friend squad. But I totally agree with you. Like the this episode that we're about to talk about gets into you're worth more than you can do for other people. Yeah. And if we just keep seeing Adora giving of herself and giving of herself to other people, do we start to muddy the message a bit? And also, I generally think people in the fandom on the whole really believe that the Catra and Adora uh, arc sort of stuck the landing. You know, like mm -hmm. they got to have their kiss. They got to survive. They got to live potentially they're happily ever after and now people can imagine whatever they want for those two and they're such an important and iconic couple in media that i'd hate to see them accidentally get their story screwed up somehow and so if we went with the next generation or the minor characters i mean we've talked about it on this show already the the sort of horde clones miniseries that i'd like to see oh I my god legs Wrong Hordak is one of my favorite things that's been created <laughs> in the last 10 years. Oh, in the last 10 years. <laughs> I mean, there's I what I we agree. do. There's there's what we do in the shadows. Uh, there's I, I also love the DreamWorks reboot of Voltron, even though I think it didn't stick to the landing in a lot of ways. I think it got kind of like uh, confused. And I think this show 
I don't know if intentionally learned lessons from that show. And like, it's like, hey, we're going to be cool. and We're going to be progressive. And we're going to do interesting things with these like properties you already know. And we're going to give them like real lives and real emotions and real and represent people who aren't usually represented in this type of media and then like tell a story about them. That's an honest, truthful story. Um, and I, I think that I totally lost my train of thought there, but um, I, I, yeah, I, to your point, I think it would be a shame to undercut all that. And, and, and the things that are so like wonderful and, and joyous about that show uh, as a whole, Shira is that, you know, it, it allows them to have this happy ending, and I don't want to undo the happy ending. That's my point. I like, uh, you know, you're saying you just kind of want characters to have some happiness. I, I do feel like that sometimes, especially with serialized media. Think about, and you'll know something about this because you were also on improvised Star Trek, like Scotty, right, from original series, one of the beloved Star Trek characters, um, to serve the whims of a Next Generation episode, ends up like basically cryo frozen for some decades um so that the enterprise d can meet him and like have an adventure eric and it's just like eric he's locked in a transporter loop where he's fed the power into there so that his pattern doesn't degrade over 80 years okay but go ahead there you go there you go thank you (laughs) but it's just like at a certain point don't you want these characters you love to just like get a break and be like okay you've served the galaxy like why do you have to live in endless torture you know, because the next gen wants to do an episode with James Doohan. It It's really, it's sad. Or I think about like Batman Beyond, which is a show I love. And I think like Batman is one of the only characters that can maybe even get away with this because of the legacy nature of his world. But like seeing how much worse off old Bruce Wayne is than middle-aged Bruce Wayne is like heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I love those Batman animated shows too. Like I consume way too many cartoons for uh, being a man of the, uh, advanced age that I am. And, um, I, I think I, that to me, I agree with you. I think Batman's kind of the exception to that, uh, where like Batman is a complicated character and I don't know that he deserves <laughs> exactly as much as I have loved Batman over the years and different right. iterations of Batman. Like there needs to be somebody to come along and do what Alan Moore did in the eighties for Batman and kind of reinvent him for a modern age where we kind of point out the things that are shitty about Batman. And I don't know that anyone's doing that cause I'm not reading the comics right now. Um, but he's like a rich guy who beats up poor people and that sucks. And, um, you know, like no one's kind of like dealt with that kind of like boldly, I don't think. Yeah. And he kind of does. I mean, Ultimately, he's trying to do the right thing. And I think in the best versions of media that have done him well, he is this character who sacrifices everything for everyone else. Um, You know, he does have all this wealth, but he like spends it to like make people's lives better. Generally is is in the best versions of him. I I think the best representations of him. And I, I think that animated series does it really well. But also they're smart enough to go like he doesn't get a happily ever after. Everyone else maybe does in their own ways. But like something about him is like too dedicated, too singular focused. And it it doesn't make sense for that character um, because of his obsession and 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 being kind of realistic about that without like focusing on it too much. Whereas I don't feel like that's Adora. You know, or Catra, you know, they have the things that 
the baggage they bring with them from their childhood, but they're not obsessive. They well, Adora's at her most Bruce Wayne in this episode, I think. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. kind of about talking her back from that. Absolutely. And 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 having people around her who support her who are not Shadow Weaver, <laughs> who are like, hey, you, you like that. The scene with Mara, I think, is like so great. And like step back a second here. Uh, something I realized as I was rewatching this episode, I watched it yesterday. I watched it again this morning. I think uh, this is a total tangent. Sorry. Uh, there is something about the way we consume uh, uh, the, uh, when I first watched Shira, I, I just binged it. I binged the whole thing and then stopping and watching this single episode, I picked up on so many things that I had missed. And I kind of wish they would switch to that Disney plus Mandalorian model where it's like one episode a week, even though I find that kind of frustrating in the moment because I'm used to binging now. I think there really is something about like watching an episode and sitting with it for a little while that I have come around to appreciating again. Um, because, like, there's a great moment where she first realizes that uh, as they're going towards the heart, she Adora realizes that her memories are starting to come back or, or that it's using her memories against her. And and there's a moment where the, the vision of Catra, like, touches her face. And I was like, oh, she's ready to accept love and and just hasn't had the opportunity. And it's like a very subtle, like, cool moment. That I think in the binge world of like, I just watched six of these in a row. Like, I don't, I didn't pick up on because I'm like thinking about the plot and like, how does she get out of this? How do they survive Hordak and blah, 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 blah. Yes. Yeah, we, Lauren and I watched these twice and I feel like that's really crucial to appreciating everything that's going on. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there's really something to, and and, I, and with shows that I really love, I will do that. I'll, I'll like, um, I'm a big uh, fan of Doctor Who, and I love the. I really loved Peter Capaldi's Doctor, even though he wasn't the most popular. And I think there are a couple episodes that, when they first came out, I watched them two or three times in a row. Same, same with all the Doctors. There are some episodes I'll just be like, I'm going to watch this, and I'm going to watch it again tomorrow, and like, because I really want to see it, I really want to like take it in and feel it. You know, like what what are the little things that I missed? And those shows are good at like kind of feeding you little hints that you maybe don't pick up on the first time around. I think this show is a great example of that. Like all this, you know, all the way back, all the stuff with Madame Raz, all the stuff that she knows and like hints at that you like kind of, you can kind of disregard as like, it's just jokes, you know, but it's like, oh, there really is like this whole thing that she's aware of that no one else is aware of. And I think that's, I think it's it's such cool and smart writing and anything Noelle Stevenson makes, I will, I will wholeheartedly support and watch. Have we even said it out loud yet that we're talking about heart part one, man, we just got <laughs> no, right into it. I'm sorry. I really jumped ahead. I, it's I really, I appreciate it. I just, uh, want people to like be clocked in here. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. I'll do I'll do a, the quickest of recaps. So very action packed episode, heart part one, uh, Adora, Glimmer and Bo take off for uh, to to inject the failsafe into the heart of Etheria and save the planet. Meanwhile, the other princesses are tasked with supporting Entrapta with cracking Horde Prime's neural network and disrupting the chips. But through all sorts of twists and turns, uh, Adora, because she's in a very Bruce Wayne martyr mode, ends up leaving <laughs> her friends behind. Uh, the 
uh, kind of the environment around the heart is showing her all these memories that are making her re- uh, think she needs to be solo. So she goes off on her own. Glimmer and Bogo rejoin the princesses. The princesses are ambushed by a bunch of Horde people. And Entrapta is captured and teleported to Horde Prime's ship. Uh-oh. And then Scorpia and Mermista and uh, King Micah fight the princesses. It's very, very scary. Uh, and at the end of the episode, Shira has this incredible moment of like reflection with Amara hologram, kind of. And then Horde Prime intrudes on it and sends some first ones tech uh, after Shira, who is uh, after Adora, really. And it looks like it might be the end for Adora. But fortunately, Catra and Shadow Weaver are coming back to try to help her. So we'll pick that up next week. But what a tense and emotional episode. I want to go back to what Matt said about Adora being ready to accept love because. I was just so struck when you said that because at the beginning of the episode even, I don't know if she realizes that herself. Um, The opening scene that we see is Bo and Glimmer sort of together and characters asking each other, are you warm? Are you okay? Do you need anything? Um, You know, our married couple is reunited and everyone is just sort of caring for each other and Adora is standing off to the side by herself she transforms into Shira and she gets everyone talking about the mission she does not seem super open to love in that moment but perhaps by the end of this episode she is maybe that's kind of her arc here yeah Just a quick call out that Bo is playing a lute in that scene very classic uh, very, reference there very classic I loved that um yeah, I agree with you, Lauren. I, I think she's definitely not there at the beginning. And I think even in that moment you're talking about where she comes out of Shira and it's like, here's what we're going to do. Um, she sees Shadow Weaver off on her own. And that's when she starts to, like, doubt herself again, too, which I think is like, I think in some ways she sees the parallel maybe between herself and Shadow Weaver that they're both alone uh, in the midst of all these people who are caring for each other. And and that one moment I was talking about, I think, like, it, maybe it's not she's ready for it as much as she, like, she did. There is there is some part of her, whether she's fully aware of it or not, that desires it. Um, because you never really get to see the real Catra be affectionate to her <laughs> in, in that way that that memory is in that moment. But uh, the Catra in that memory is like wants to take care of her and is and is being loving to adora and like she's she's down for it until she like kind of like is shaken out of it and gets yeah switches back to bruce wayne mode um so i think that's an excellent point that that she's not there at the beginning um and i i concur with that a hundred percent i'm not sure either of these characters is clear about their feelings until kind of the 11th hour because milag Mm -hmm stops Katra and tries to get Katra to turn back. And that's when we get that really heart-rending line from Katra. Adora doesn't want me, not like I want her. And is I think... That, is that the first time that she expresses that explicitly? That's I, that's I kind so. of what I want to talk about because this, I think, is when she's explicit about it out loud, when it's explicitly romantic as opposed to, like, arguably. And my first gut reaction was, well, you haven't shown her at once. <laughs> you know, right. go go back and, and expl- state your needs and state your intention, and maybe it will go better for you than both of you focusing on something else and avoiding it. Yeah, but, like, 
what in Catra's life has taught her to be vulnerable? For <laughs> sure. no, nothing, you know, so like that's that's a big ask for her. And it's cool that she's able to get there and overcome that um, despite all the things that have worked against her. Um, I think that's a cool, beautiful story to tell that and it's a cool redemption. She has a, she has a great redemption arc uh, throughout the whole series. And uh, I love that she gets uh, backing up into the season a little bit. I, as an old, as an old school fan, I love that she gets me log. <laughs> Uh, who's like kind of like the cat she turned into on the old series. Like, I'm like, Oh, what a cool little way to bring that in, but it's different, but it's, it's that thing sort of. And I'm like, I just love that. I don't know. It made me really happy uh, in a weird pointless way. <laughs> I think if it weren't for Ron Hordak, Milag would be the MVP of the season. Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, Hordak really stole that ball. <laughs> oh my gosh. But uh, yeah, I love Ron Hordak. I, I can't state that enough. I, I, I Going back to another thing, I, I, I like I was saying, how I noticed things this time around, he didn't. I think it doesn't just apply to the emotional stuff. It also applies to, like, the technical slash, like, how we're forwarding the plot stuff. There was, like, a little subtle moment that I didn't catch the first time where Bo is shooting arrows at a uh, Hordak clone. Uh, Horde I know what you're about to say. I caught he, that this time, too. Yes. And he hits one in the hand and the hand hits the door and the door slides down and opens the door, which is like a great stroke of luck because that's how he gets to entrapped his computer. And I was like, oh, what a cool. And it happens so fast, like you can miss it. And I was like, oh, cool, smart, like smart way to like not get hung up on like, how do they get the door open? But they show you how they get the door open. And I was like, I I just think it's really smart how they problem solve those sort of like plot problems without getting like usually not getting too like buried in them because they know they want to focus on the character stuff and they but they still have to deal with the plot stuff. And I, I think they're just the, the writing staff is very adept at like saying like, here's a problem. How can we solve it either with using the character story <laughs> to solve that plot problem or how can we like show it and not like talk about it for too long? So if if I can uh, call back to the Catradora stuff, which is, I mean, kind of the, <laughs> I think what everyone, uh, what everyone wants us to talk about all of the time. Lauren, I have a question for you about in particular Adora's arc in this episode. Uh-huh. So it feels to me like really the the almost the moral of the whole show, if it's not about like community and celebrating differences, I, I feel like it's contained in, in that line that you mentioned. You're worth more than what you can give to other people, uh, which we learned from Kiki Manrique, who directed this episode. I believe that that, that whole scene was a late ad, which is crazy to me. Really? Um, yeah, because it feels like that this is like the emotional heart, pardon the pun, of the, of the proceedings. But... To me, I wonder, is this lesson that Adora's learning, is this in some way a rebellion against how young women tend to be socialized? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, consciously and in a lot of ways subconsciously, uh, I think young women, at least in America, are raised to be very agreeable, very nurturing, um, and very serving toward others, you know, being mothers and wives and housemakers. And often our value is logged by what we're giving to others. I 
I'm wrapping up my time in business school, and the last class that I took was called um, Women Entrepreneurs, and we read study after study, like scientific, actual, you know, academic study about how women and men are treated in business. And thankfully, the class, you know, as a side note, also did get into the fact that like seeing gender as binary is not really a modern understanding and is not super great. But, Mm. you know, the studies are sort of of their time. And even in workplaces, perhaps especially in workplaces, um, men are seen as great leaders and qualified for promotions and raises if they're assertive and aggressive and independent. And if women show those same those exact same traits, they are less likely to get a promotion. They're less likely to get recognition because they're sort of play acting outside of gender expectations. We are sort of baked into expecting women to be nurturing and kind and open and loving. And it's just really refreshing having just gone through that course to have a show teaching young girls like, you know what, you deserve to get what you want to. Yeah, I think about this show, you know, I don't have kids, uh, but I, I think if I did, I would really want them to watch it because... You know, those old shows, um, (laughs) they can be very strange and, you know, the morals are sort of tagged on because they knew they were making a a toy commercial. Um, And I think like the fact that this exists for a new generation of people and that maybe, maybe if they see it, even if they're community and the people around them don't support um them maybe they can see themselves reflected here and maybe and maybe if they even if they don't see themselves reflected here you know maybe it's just a way to accept that people aren't like them or you know here are people that are like you and it it does such a good job of showing a, a, a great community of people and women in particular that are powerful and capable and um, and have their own <laughs> agendas, desires. I don't know how you want to say that. Um, wishes, you know, hopes, dreams, and and they and they fight for them. And I think that is, uh, man. I hope kids see this show and take that to heart. And like, I hope I, you know, the way I watched those shows when I was a kid, and like. I took away, you know, that I wanted to buy those toys and that <laughs> and and I think the moral stuff is like was fine and good. But uh, I think there's a real opportunity here to help kids see something better, you know, for all of us, you know, and like and, and treating people with the respect they deserve. I don't know if I'm. I didn't mean to like glom onto that and like get off onto another tangent there. Uh, just, um, you know, I, I really, I think about that a lot as I, as I watch something like this. No, I, I think that's totally right. And you know, I, I, we both obviously love the old shows and I do think I credit Shira a lot with kind of presenting me with some of my earliest notions of gender equality, but in very like lip servicey ways in a lot of ways, you know, yeah, like, yeah. that don't really, 
take a deep dive. There's a few episodes. Lauren, do you, you remember we watched one called Just Like Me, which is kind of more about Adora's ability yeah. to like, inspire people. Um, so there's a few episodes that kind of analyze, like, what does it mean to hold power? But really, that's mm. kind of the whole thrust of, of Shira in a way. It's almost like Marxist in, in a certain respect. It's not like questions of right and wrong, but like, how do you use this power that you have? Who is it for? Who does it benefit? We've gotten a number of letters from our listeners who have really just touched my heart because we know there are people out there who are LGBTQ and maybe their families or their loved ones and the people who should support them aren't giving them the support and the love that they deserve. And Shira has given them, as you kind of say, Matt, this place to see um, someone like someone like them and some you know someone to idolize and seek comfort in. And I was really touched by that in the first place. And now, as an adult, um, this weekend, I have been personally facing a lot of anxiety, thinking about like federal troops being sent into Chicago for whatever stupid reason. And I find myself looking to Shira as like, the motivation that we can fight and there is a sense of justice and a sense of right in the world. And like, let's all be strong and let's all be brave as the theme song says. Uh, I, I just think this show came at such a perfect time that so many populations can see it as a source of hope, d- no matter what kind of shit they have going on, frankly. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, you know, it, it, it is a scary time in a lot of ways but I think I think it's it sounds so silly, but it's hopeful. And like there's something so wonderful about immersing yourself in something as hopeful as this show. And however, like I, to be perfectly you know open about who I am, I am a 45 year old uh, Caucasian cisgendered male. You know, like I'm I'm just a guy. I'm the guy who should hate the last jedi i love the last jedi i think it's my same i fucking love the last jedi you know i'm i I, if if i'm sure that there's some contingency of old he-man fans who don't like this new shira show i don't even want to think about them or talk about them i don't i don't tend to spend a lot of time on the internet because i don't want to hear what they think about it because i don't care um you know and i think about how i think i'm i'm so happy that people find support in this show i hope that continues to happen as people continue to discover the show. And I just wanted to share this kind of like weird thought I had about growing up with the old shows. Um, I had He-Man figures. I loved He-Man. I, I, you know, I watched the show. I collected the figures. I was into Star Wars, into Transformers. I was just that kind of like nerdy kid. And um, when She-Ra came out, I was watching She-Ra, and I really liked She-Ra, and I, I really wanted to get some of the She-Ra toys, and um, I was kind of discouraged from doing that because they were in pink packages, and they were girl toys, you know? Like, that, that was just the thinking about it at the time, and I felt weird and ashamed, and... As a cisgendered white male who everything is made for me, like everything in the fucking world is made for me. Um, and I, I I ended up buying a Shira like on my own one day somehow. And I was like not with my 
dad or something. I don't know. Um, and I, I, you know, I had her in my collection of He-Man figures and I, you know, I was just like really excited to be able to get that figure. Although it came at me kind of sheepishly bringing it up to the counter and like being like sort of embarrassed about it. And I think about that and I think, I hope everyone, everyone sees this show (laughs) and is as inspired and it opens their hearts and their minds. And I think it has the power to do that. If people are ready for it, you know, a lot of people obviously aren't. And there's not a lot we can do about that other than, you know, the people who you have in your life you can influence and you can talk to, you know, try to meet them where they're at. You know, I think Obama says that a lot, like try to meet people where they're at. And um, I, I just I hope I hope people just see it. I, this is why I focus, I think, like on young people, because I think young people will see it and be like, yeah, why wouldn't things be this way? <laughs> you know, like yeah. why 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 would we be, you know, uh, against people who are maybe not exactly the same as us? So I, I tend to be a, a, a pessimistic person with a lot of hope deep down in my heart. <laughs> and this this like helps me like hang on to that hope. And uh, I'm glad it does that for other people, too. I'm going to save Etheria no matter what it takes. Your sacrifice won't be in vain. I promise. But at what cost? I never wanted to die. I sacrificed myself so you would never have to. Why are you doing this, Adora? It's better this way. My friends will be safe. They'll be happy. And you? What do you want when this is all over? I... It doesn't matter. I'm Shira. This is what I'm supposed to do. You're worth more than what you can give to other people. You deserve love, too. You're so close, Adora. Don't give up yet. One of the big uh, emotions that I felt through a lot of this episode was sort of a feeling of, of futility, but futility like you feel it in an action movie, like a big scene, a, one of the big fight scenes in the Avengers where like things are going really grim and then another, then Thor shows up and now the ebb and flow of the battle is back in the Avengers' favor and it kind of pulls back and forth. But there are these big sort of action moments like, when Entrapta gets busted or when all of those clones get teleported in and over and over in this episode, you feel like, oh my goodness, hope is lost. How are they going to get out of this? And then someone pops up, uh, Glimmer does the Iron Man ground pound and then maybe it seems like everyone's going to be okay again. I don't want to ignore the fact that this episode in terms of just action is a great like send up to sort of superhero battles. It's extremely well done and I couldn't believe how many ebbs and flows of battle they fit into that like 30 minutes. Yeah, that is that is really impressive. Like I think I think the moment you called out a Glimmer saves the day. Uh, you know, and cast a spell comes and, and, you know, assists her with like, you know, and they're working together to like get that big wall of, uh, water over and, and hit the, all the horde clones is awesome. It's like, it's epic. And it's like, you want her to like be this great leader. And she gets this moment of like being the hero and you're like, yeah, yes, I love it. And, uh, you also get like, uh, great, like, you know, uh, 
you know, wrong Hordak comes up and ex- explains. He's like, hey, I'm just a Horde guy like you guys. I love you guys. <laughs> you know, it's like a <laughs> distraction. You know, like, that's a great little it's just like a second. And it's like all he gets. But you're like, perfect. That's all I want. That's all I need. Um, you get Seahawk uh, de-chipping Mermista, which I think is also a great moment um, that he's being the the kind of Nimrod that he always is. Speaking of the Avengers, is Seahawk the Hawkeye? Discuss. Because uh, I think he is. I think that, um, hmm, is he the Hawkeye? I think he's the Hawkeye in the sense that there's these big moments where all of the princesses are lined up and they're ready to kick some ass and it, you have you have you know the hawkeye of the group being like i have a bow or in in seahawk's case i have a sword for some reason bow doesn't strike me as the hawkeye seahawk does because he ends up no. in these big pastiches among the princesses as like i'm helping bow is the black widow yes yeah. I think Seahawk is the Matt Fraction Hawkeye, but not the uh, yeah yeah not, not the Clint Bart or who who plays him in Avengers the uh, uh, oh Jeremy Renner yeah Hawkeye. yeah yeah uh, I think that's I think that's very uh, astute uh, that he's like more akin to the comics like Hawkeye the movie Hawkeye isn't really all those Marvel movies real quick Marvel tangent. All the Marvel movies do a pretty good job of using the source material to be like, this is kind of the essence of this, what this character is in the comics, except for Hawkeye. <laughs> yes, he's just like basic action stereotype guy. Yeah, it's very strange because he's become such a cool character in the comics and always has been kind of fun and quirky and weird. And you're like, why don't we get the fun, quirky, weird Hawkeye? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's he's weird like, that in the movies they try to make down the road, they try to make his special trait that like he has a family that he cares about. Right. But so do other people. Yeah, yeah. I, in in the comics, he's like dumpy Steve McQueen, which I think is a much better direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right on. Um I, but we were talking about the set pieces in this episode, and like, yeah, I I think uh D Chippy Mermista is really fun. And uh, the thing I love about that is Seahawks are such a fun, s- silly, stupid character. He sets all his boats on fire. And then you do get one moment of sincerity from here where he's like, because I love you, dearest. And it, it snaps her out of it for a second. You see her eyes go back to normal. And he's just being very sincere and very real for a second, which is hard for him. He doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah, his like, voice when he says, I hope you forgive me when you're back to normal yeah. It's just delivered with such a tenderness that I understand that relationship. I'm like, oh, she knows what he's like underneath all of that. And that's yeah. maybe who she loves. Right. I, I yeah, I think that's right. I, I also sometimes I watch uh, Netflix with the the subtitles on and I, ca- I catch things I didn't normally catch. Uh, it's I think it's worth watching any Seahawk episode to catch the little weird things that he says the on things the side. He yells downward. <laughs> downward is uh, what he stabs someone. He goes perforation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, those are such great little moments. Again, like if you're binging it, you probably miss. Or if you don't, you know, if you're just not it, 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 the sound sometimes is not like the loudest when he's doing those little like call outs. It's super fun. Um yeah, and I love also Glimmer shows up and saves the day. Sorry to go back to that for a second, but I love that there's the moment kind of right after it where Frost is so excited to see her, you know, like those little character things. 
they're so good at it was bringing back in the character stuff. Like they let it be this huge action epic Avengers moment, but then it's like they don't forget the characters, which you know, arguably a lot of these other franchises do. Well, to that uh, end, to that end, we have I think three, if not more, separate like big I love you moments in this one, in addition to all of the action. We already talked about Seahawk and Mermista. Adora says it to the best friend squad in a way that is very tender and, you know, friendship based. And then we have Glimmer to Bo. And it is canon that this is the moment they are confirmed a romantic couple. And I think it's funny that, like, the fandom was sort of unsure until Noelle Stevenson herself sort of cleared it up. Um, I really analyzed that scene this time, knowing that there was a question mark above it for a while. And I just really love Glimmer in that whole moment. She waits until they're alone. Like, she can't say it until they're by themselves. And then it just pours out of her. She's, I love you, I love you. And then after Bo says, I love you too, she turns toward the camera and she makes this face toward the camera like, all right, now that that's out of the way and I down the table, <laughs> I'm ready to whoop some ass. Yeah. She's jimming the camera. Oh, uh, <laughs> I think that's, yeah, I, I at first didn't necessarily take it that way my first time through. Um, I, I think. And I and I had saw that you know they confirmed that like yeah hundred percent yeah that's the moment. Um, but rewatching it again, also the thing that I took away back to the very beginning where we were talking about Adora's like alone and Shadow Weaver's alone and everyone else is like caring for each other at back at the camp. Uh, he's playing the lute, classic bow, and she's sitting there and uh, Swiftwind. Oh God, we haven't even talked about Swiftwind. I, I guys. Can this podcast go on for seven hours? Yeah, Uh-oh. we're good. Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, also love Swiftwind. Great, great reinterpretation of that character. But Swiftwind's like, hey, man, can you give it a break with the loot? And he's like, hey, I'm just learning. Like, And she goes, I think it's great. You know, like, and there's like, oh, yeah, it's shit. It's all there the whole time. And I, I, I think, again, I think it's a, a, I think if I hadn't binged it, and I'd be getting it week by week and seeing it build a little bit. I think I would have been more receptive and 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 seen that like that was really what it was. I, I I think like missing if you're if you're someone who missed the glimmer bow, this is actually romantic love thing. I think it's not a fault of the show. I think it's a fault maybe of the way we consume media. I agree with that so much. Another catch I made in that regard was how many send-ups to the 80s She-Ra costume Mara has. Her whole chest piece is nearly identical to Vintage Adora. She's got the cape that attaches at the shoulder instead of the waist like Vintage Adora does. Um, mm-hmm. There are so many like love letters to the original put into this that... I mentioned it much earlier in this podcast. Like if you're binging Netflix and you're like, I'm also going to be looking at my phone or cleaning the kitchen while this is on the background, you're not going to see stuff like that. Yeah. I I mean, to go way back for a second, I was kind of blown away. They first mentioned Mara and then you see her for the first time. And that was the first, first time you see her. I was like, Oh my God, that character's from the new adventures of He-Man. I didn't even like think of, I thought it was just like a name that they pulled out of a hat. I was like, Oh no, this is actually, uh, Oh my God, this is so connected to everything. (laughs) Um, 
I, I was like, and her costume is a, it's very similar, inspired by, and I was like, oh, that's that's cool. And that's a character that was never She-Ra in the original canon, but they they took it and they're like, let's make this important. Let's like let's honor this and like let's use this character. Let's reinterpret this character and 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 give her a real meaning and purpose. Um, I, I'll say one of the unanswered questions from the show for me uh, is like, I, I would love to know. I, I think like there are these unanswered questions about like what is Eternia, what is Gray Skull, but like really I just want to know like all that stuff I can kind of like forget, you know, like I don't I don't really care. Like maybe it's just the name of the of the rebel group, or maybe it's you know maybe it's inspired by original King Gray Skull or Castle Gray Skull or whatever. It it's it's like it's a cool nod. It doesn't matter too much. I I, I still feel like we needed to know a little bit more about what's the deal with the first ones <laughs> like that? Yeah. That never really got fully satisfied, satisfactorily explained to me. But again, it's a minor quibble. It's like the Hordak thing where I'm like, I don't really care that much, but like I, personally I could have used a, just a hair more like, yeah, the end of this episode when they show the first one's security system for a split second and it's a terrifying like Cthulhu plant. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, what? Wait, what is their deal? <laughs> yeah, for, for not the first time, first one's tech manifests as like scary bugs. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what explanation I'm looking for. Like, I don't know what would satisfy me really, but. Their tech is scary bugs is something that I've just I've just felt forced to accept. Well, <laughs> their tech is scary bugs and uh, 80s AI ladies. Um, kind of the thing I wanted to mention about that scene, which I think is my last big point for the episode, is so Horde Prime acts like he, you know, kind of, sort of, maybe recognizes Mara and is like, oh, yeah, she might have been a memory once, but, you know, there's been thousands of these people and they all fade away. But then, as he leaves Adora with his little Cthulhu plant, he says, Goodbye, my oldest enemy. How does he know? Maybe he's full of shit, is what I'm saying. I he's... think he was saying he saw many She-Ra's, and so the individual doesn't matter. And so I... She-Ra is his oldest enemy? Yes, I agree with you 100%. I think that's exactly right. And I think I think it is very possible that there have been other She-Ra's we do not, have not seen and do not know about. Um, which would be cool. Maybe that's another way to do an extension of this show, uh, another era of she of a different Shira. Um, um, and I love that. I, I love that detail about Horde Prime, though, because like, you know, he moves into a new body and he's like this weird, like, w- like what again, kind of like the first one's like, what is his whole deal? What does he really want? He wants to destroy the whole universe, remake it in his image, classic, like, you know, comic book supervillain, kind of bs but I, I there's something i believe more about it a little bit because he's like i i think the thing that they dug into him with with him is that he is truly a narcissist <laughs> and i think the fact that he doesn't remember her is like is another great example of that uh and that he's like, yes, I am against these forces that are against me because they are against me. It's like a very narcissist way of thinking. <laughs> and I, I I really like – I like that character moment for him because it allows him to be so dismissive of someone who nearly destroyed him. And it, it just proves that he's 
just a absolutely shit of a person. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Um, did you guys have anything else you wanted to add about this episode? I know it's so deep and it feels like we could talk about it forever, but we probably shouldn't talk about it quite forever. I know. I still have one more thing, though, and that yeah. is I love seeing Katra tell Shadow Weaver to do something good for once because that is exactly what Glimmer told her to do and she's taken it to heart and now she's using it to give her abuser the business. Yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about Catra enough probably in general. Like she has so many great moments. We did mention the moment about her kind of explicitly for saying she doesn't uh, that Adora doesn't want her the way she wants Adora. Uh, but that moment with Shadow Weaver is also it, I, here's another thing that popped out to that to me Lauren was um, she's like this isn't about your power trip anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I love that. I love that she's like I, I know that that you are also like you're also a person that's obsessed with yourself. And I, I that is on the sideline. I don't care about that. I'm not going to play into your game anymore. Um, That's a cool, that's a cool moment for her. Yeah. I think the message that we wanted to get out of this episode, we already really covered earlier on, which is that despite the action and tension of this episode, it's extremely hopeful. You get to see a lot of warm relationships and support between people. And it's shown that those things are powerful enough to navigate some really dark times. And so I think that's really important right now. And before we get into heart part two, like, so we carry with us. I don't know. It's, it sounds so simple, but it's, it's not because I think we're living through a time when that sort of message is necessary right now. I wonder I wonder what we're going to look back on in five years and say like, man, there was a pandemic and cops in the streets and it was wild and thank goodness we had that that show. Yeah. And it and just like it's just superior storytelling that it it manages to hit all of those notes and balance action with character development in a, in a just a seamless beautiful way um it is a it is something that people who want to tell stories should study <laughs> intently i think um and, and for people who don't want to tell stories they should watch it and just be inspired by it soak it in yeah so, Matt, if you would like our listeners to find you, what is the – not like in a creepy way, but in a I want to support this person's media way. What is the best way to do that? Uh, uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at More People Happy. Uh, you can also follow my in-character Twitter from Magic Tavern at Usador the Blue. Uh, and you can subscribe to Hello from the Magic Tavern and uh, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, and we have bonus episodes available on Stitcher Premium. And there is also 10 years of a back catalog, as Eric mentioned, of improvised Star Trek podcasts. So check all those out. And, you know, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for having me on, you guys. This was really a joy. I'm so glad we were able to bury the hatchet. I'm so glad <laughs> that your son was returned to you. And um, it, it, it's been a real pleasure to talk about the show. I love this show. I love I love uh, I love what you guys do. I love that you're talking about it, and I love that there's a community that's able to reach out to you and and fu- and 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 connect through this show. I think that's that's awesome. 
Man, so are we. I feel I feel gifted every day. Thank you for being here with us. And I mean, season five of Shira is really all about redemption. So it would it's only fair that we give you, you know, the chance <laughs> to. <laughs> oh, shit. Am I your catrick? Oh, great. Well, in fact, funny story next. Ep- so I have had um, a long running phony Internet feud with a a, a sitcom that uh, because an, ex- an obsessive fan of a certain sitcom trolled me. Uh, years ago about my not liking a certain show that one of the Shira cast members is on. Well, I already said this season's all about redemption, so maybe we'll bury another hatchet next week. Redemption arcs for everybody! (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Shira, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. <laughs>